This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. Settle in because I'm in charge for the first like five minutes of our podcast. We have a lot of items to cover, and I did not submit an agenda to you. Okay. But. I'm, I'm ready. First, I checked the P.O. box today. Mm. We had this little piece of mail from Rena, and I LOL'd so hard. <laughs> it says, attempted murder, and it's two crows. Do you get it? Yes, you need three for a murder. <laughs> I know. It made me laugh. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. This is so great. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real life creeps from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Ogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. We've done our unboxings, you know, on Marco Polo. Yeah. But I have a, like, package that feels kind of fun. <gasps> Are and we I don't doing know an unboxing it, it today? An oh. unboxing. So okay, fun. but I want to do this unboxing. Yes. Okay. It feels like it's very – it's a soft packaging. Like, is this a shirt? It's a manila envelope. A manila envelope. It's got a tracking number, but it does not have a, a return address. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, so, let's crack that baby yeah, open. Yeah. Hurry up. I'm usually – Oh, it is some type of fabric. Oh. It's a shirt of sorts. <laughs> it's Mariah Carey eating McDonald's. <laughs> it says XO Mariah. I need the Mariah menu. You're going to look fabulous, darling. Hope you love your exclusive Mariah McDonald's merch. Thanks for being a fan this holiday season. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what does everyone think of True Crime Creepers? We're loving it. <laughs> Drake. Drake? Drake? Okay. Drake. I'm so glad we unboxed this because this is like the Waffle House Dolly Part thing. There's just like not – it's okay. just McDonald's merch, but it's it's Mariah Carey with like <laughs> – as if Mariah Carey would actually eat two cheeseburgers and a large fry and Coke. Let me see it. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sitting here picture of this. Loving it. <laughs> That's amazing. This is honestly the best thing I could have possibly unboxed. I had no idea. What Agreed. To and it definitely was not this. Like, what did she do? A collab with McDonald's? The Mariah menu. Oh my gosh, that was that was really something. That I, was amazing. I really didn't know it was going to be that good when I unboxed it. 
I mean, truly did not know. No. I was trying to uh, access our Instagram because, but now all these videos play when I pull it up. Oh. Because I'm like an old person. Oh, you're like an old person? Everything is like falling apart on my body all of the time. Oh, I think I know. What will help you with that? You got to get you some athletic greens. Oh, that's right. Our new sponsor, Athletic Greens. It's a supplement that you can add to your water with one delicious scoop of AG1. You're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics. Everybody loves a superfood. It's literally called a super Super. To help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging, all of the things. I've been looking for like small healthy changes I could start making throughout the day to just make myself feel better. And Athletic Greens is exactly what I've been looking for. A small habit with big benefits. It's just one thing I can do every day to take care of myself. Truly, because I can't do all of the steps, you know, all the different (laughs) regimens. I see one little thing. Yeah, Athletic Greens was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues. He ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover that cost him $100 a day. Ain't ain't nobody got time for that. No, or the money. So he created (laughs) Athletic Greens after experiencing how difficult it was to create an optimal nutrition routine on your own. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews, and it's now the perfect time to try it because Athletic Greens is going to give you a free whole one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. That's athleticgreens.com slash E-M-E-R-G-I-N-G. Well, I definitely want to get me some of those travel packs. I definitely want that one-year supply of vitamin D. Yeah, you need vitamin D, girl. Yeah, I do. I do. You know what else we should talk about? Tell me. The Patreon. The Patreon. (laughs) Yes, because on one of our mini creep episodes, Mm-hmm. We talked about your least favorite word. Yes. And I'm going to share some of the results, but tell the people what a mini creep is. <laughs> a mini creep. So Patreon, we got three levels. First level is $5, just $5 a month. And you get a bonus episode every single month for that, a full length bonus episode. You jump up $2 to the $7 level. And that gets you mini creeps like two times or so. It's been about two times a month. We put out a mini creep, which are episodes that are like 20 to 30 minutes where over all different kinds of stuff, we've had true crime mini creeps, but we've also had like, we just recorded one where we played Would You Rather. We've done Am I the Asshole? We've done Q&As, all sorts of stuff. Waffle House, Fast and Furious. Yes. (laughs) All the good stuff. So what were you saying about one of the mini creeps? We just, Oh, we just did one where we talked about our least favorite word. And I don't want to yes. repeat it again. Ugh. Are you going to tell us who okay. won? Well, yes, I will tell you who won. But then we let the people submit their own. And there's some words <laughs> that it's so funny. It's so funny. Okay, let's just get into it because I died. So on that mini creep, we discussed three words that absolutely turn our stomachs. Panty. Ugh. Which was not mine, so I can say it a million times. But, uh, but the two that I 
cannot. Do you want me to say them? Yes. Commode. (laughs) (laughs) Which I don't mind at all. (laughs) Take I got to get to the commode. And belch. She can't stand the word belch. It's worse when you use it in a sentence. (laughs) Got to get to the commode. Yes. I knew that Panty would probably win, but I do appreciate that Belch put up a good effort. So we had 37% of people that responded say Panty number Uh, one. Yep. You know, we obviously know Moist is like the crowd favorite of least favorites. We didn't add it. Obviously, that was what most people submitted. But Belch, 34% and Commode. But I was loving people's responses. Okay. Obviously, most people submitted moist. There's so many good, disgusting words. <laughs> Trigger warning. I'm so sorry for everyone. Coagulate. I love the word coagulate. <laughs> I like it too, but I could see why it would be on the list. I could too. Yeah, coagulate. You it got a lot fun. of like, uh, just here to reinforce that panty is the worst. So good for you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Okay. So, God, some of these I can't do. Flaccid. Oh, yeah, I hate that word. I saw that come in. That's a terrible word. Whoever said that, that should have been our fourth word. That's a great one. God, <laughs> that that's should have been our fourth word. word. Ugh. Cigarette. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't. I think that doesn't bother me. It even tries to be on girly your with the cigarette R-E-T-T-E. break. I don't know. It's kind of got a yeah. Oh, yeah, a, the, it's a vibe. I like that it's got the R E T T E. Yeah, that feminine. Okay, this one definitely grossed me out, and is another one my grandma oh, would no. say. Grandma Ramona. You were a little rough around the edges. You got some trauma there. (laughs) Bunion. Oh, yeah, bunion. Onion doesn't bother me. I like onion. Bunion makes me one of them. I don't like funion. I don't like bunion. I like (laughs) onion. Onion is fine. It's got layers. (laughs) Ew, this one too. Ointment. Ointment. Yeah. I don't like ointment. I don't like oink. Oi. I don't like it. Oink. Ew. Yeah, I don't like oink. This one, but I love you. pigs, and I love pigs oinking. So <laughs> this one made me laugh because the person didn't even spell it out; they used asterisks instead. Uh-huh. Belly button. <laughs> they didn't. Spell I can't it. even stand to spell it. They said <laughs> belly button. <laughs> uh, this oh. one too. Placenta. Gross. Gross. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This yeah. one also, I was like, ooh, I don't love all these words either. And this person submitted all three of them. Boom, boom, boom. Tender, slice, gash. Really, oh, tender, tender is just the one that I like bothers slice. me a little bit. Tender. Do you know what I just thought of? I just thought of a word that I actually hate, just the word. The word yeah. food. I hate the word food. I love food. I hate the <laughs> word. Make no mistake here. We love Make food. Make no mistake. I love what food. What is it? The F? Food. I think it's the ooh. I think it's the ood. If my door dasher is like, I'm on my way with your food, I'm like, ew. <laughs> ew. I love that. And supper. And I hate the word supper. I apologize to all my Midwest <laughs> friends. Like, apologies. My, I know that's what you call it. My grandma also said I hate the word supper. I hate it. I think it. it's a Southern thing, too. Is it? People don't yeah. say it. The only person I know that calls supper supper here. Is from Wisconsin. Shouts, Natalie. Yeah. <laughs> Natalie, supper. That's so funny. Yeah. Another thing my grandma said, y'all would not be vibing. Okay. And I want to leave you with this one because I never thought about this word and it never bothered me. And now it bothers me. Okay. So thank you. Hey, Frederick, for your submission of slobber. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because I was like, yeah, that. And then I was like, slobber. wait a second. Slobber. Yeah. Yeah. Or slob. 
So there, of course, were a few others, but right. Moist really took the cake and the like submit your own. But sure. as I, we knew it would, you know, slobber honor. I love all these. This was really fun. Oi, so Moist has got the oi too, but all right. Well, thanks for that. Thanks for letting me take over the first few minutes. I wanted to make sure we updated the people. <laughs> if you want to participate in fun stuff like that, you should join our Patreon so you never miss the content. Yeah. Because we're content queens. Content. Okay. <laughs> Walking around in Mariah t-shirts. <laughs> Eat McDonald's. <laughs> what even is our personal brand anymore? Oh, no. What what are we doing? Have we trash have pandas, we waffle house, and <laughs> panty. Mariah Carey at McDonald's. Which I I do love that for her and for me. I can't wait. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine. But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pro's proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. Okay, let's get into this case. This is why the people are here. Let's get into it. Oh, this is why they're here? I, <laughs> I believe so. I am... Very excited to do this case. Thank you to Chris Stanley for recommending this case to me over a year ago and patiently waiting for it. I'm, I'm getting through that back catalog now. 
She actually also became a source because the victim in this case was her cousin. And this is one of the most wild stories I've ever heard. And the information out there about it is almost non-existent. Like, I'm pretty sure there is one actual article on this case that exists on the whole of the internet that I could find. So a big thank you to David Heilbroner for his book, Death Benefit, that is unfortunately not available on ebook, which means I could not, you know, control find my way through it, which is Mm -hmm. sometimes how I get through books pretty quickly. I had to order it off of Amazon and it was like this really old copy because I guess it's out of print. And the cover fell off and became a bookmark at a certain point through (laughs) my research of this case. Oh, that is heartbreaking. It was uh, quite the mess researching this. There were also episodes on forensic files and accident, suicide, or murder that I used as well. This story starts in Big Sur, California, which is one of the most beautiful places. Love that place. In the world. Have you been to Big Sur? I've like, no, not not specifically. Oh. Around it. Sure. All right. Didn't get to really spend time there. It's 50 miles of cliffs all along the ocean with some of the most spectacular coastline in the world. You can drive all along the coast on Highway 1. And I've actually taken that trip with my grandma. We started in San Francisco, which Mm. is north of Big Sur. So it wasn't in Big Sur. But we drove about 900 miles of the coast following Highway 1 as much as we could on our way up to Seattle. And it's mostly a two-lane highway the whole way. It hugs the coast most of the time. It's super windy and kind of a pain to drive, but it is gorgeous. I highly recommend, even after you hear this story. Oh. (laughs) Anyway, there's this cool little place there called Coast Big Sur. It's a gallery and cafe right across the street from the cliffs. It's got the gorgeous views, and it's pretty isolated. There's nothing, like, right around it for several miles. It was April 2nd, 1987, when a frantic woman rushes into Coast and asks to use their phone. The gallery owner comes out and asks what happened, and the woman says that she had just been at the Seal Beach Overlook, which is a little less than a quarter mile from Coast. She'd been with her husband and a friend, and the friend had slipped off the cliff and fallen. Horrified, the gallery owner showed her where the phone was, and she quickly called 911. Jeff Mason was the officer that responded to the call. And when the call came in, he wasn't surprised. It's about once a month that rescue teams get called out to somewhere along Big Sur's coastline because someone has fallen off the cliffs. Mason had been out there numerous times for people falling off. Ooh, can we get a railing? That's what I kept saying. I'm like, maybe let's put that railing in You know what, though? There wasn't a whole lot. There was railing in some places. There wasn't a whole lot of railing when I was just, like, bouncing around the Grand Canyon, you know? Like, right, Right. (laughs) Right. So Jeff Mason, the responding officer, he arrived at the scene, which was an overlook right next to the highway. It's just like a spot where people can park their cars off the highway to get out and look around. And there are these giant rocks that line the edge of the cliff on this lookout. He saw the woman who'd made the 911 call standing with a man in the turnout by their car when he arrived, and he went to get their statement. They were a middle-aged couple in their 50s, and they said their names were Virginia and Billy Joe McGinnis, and they'd driven up- Sounds like a country song. (laughs) Does. And they'd driven up from Chula Vista, California, which was about seven hours south of Big Sur, right in between San Diego and Tijuana, or as Nancy Grace would put it, 10 miles from the Mexican border. (laughs) (laughs) 
They said they decided to take a drive up the coast with their housemate, 20-year-old Dina Wild, and had been planning on staying with Billy Joe's sister and brother-in-law in San Francisco. Dina had been from Kentucky. She hadn't been in California very long. And they'd wanted to show her California and take her on this beautiful drive up the California coast. And then this terrible accident happened. Hmm. They told Officer Mason that they'd stopped to take some pictures. Virginia had been taking pictures of Billy with Dina. They were standing about two feet from the edge of the cliff. And then Virginia had started getting cold, so she'd started to head back to the car. Billy followed her, and when they looked back for Dina, she wasn't there. They looked over the cliff and could only see one of her blue high-heeled shoes. And <gasps> that's when they raced over to coast to call 911. Who's wearing blue high heels? Who's wearing high heels on rocks? Yeah, apparently Dina. But it- I'm a professional high heel wearer. I've worn it on a lot of terrain. Uh-huh. My most treacherous being in the snow. Uh-huh. And I'm still not doing that on rocks. It made a lot less sense to me when I first started looking into this. I thought that they had hiked up Big to Big Sur. Mm-hmm. But when I found out that they had just pulled off, like they were like driving yeah. and they just pulled off and she got out in her high heels, it made a little bit more sense to me, especially since like her friends all said that Dina was like an avid high heel wearer. It's it's like almost yeah. all she wore. Virginia Good for said you, the same Dina. thing. It's just scary. <laughs> I know, same. Mason, the officer, he said that they weren't in hysterics or freaking out or anything, Virginia and Billy. But since they weren't immediate family, he wasn't really put off by it. He said they were calm. They answered all his questions. He asked them to show him exactly where they'd been standing while they were taking the pictures. And when they showed him, he peered over the side of the cliff and he could see the blue high heel, but no body anywhere in view. So the high heel like wasn't on. Right. The high heel had like flown off and it was kind of because the way the cliff was, it didn't just sharp shoot down. There was a, a bit of a slope before it went all the way down. And so the blue high heel was kind of wedged on that slope part, and then yeah. Dina had fallen below. How eerie that, like, there's a photo. Like, you took a photo, so you've, like, captured this moment, like, a few seconds before. Yes, absolutely. You I know? know, and we will so get into the creepy. photos. The rescue team arrived shortly afterward, and they confirmed that they'd found Dina at the bottom of the cliff and that she was dead. Mason said Ooh. the McGinnises were distraught by the news. Dina Wilde had grown up in Kentucky as Dina Hubbard. And I also just want to say that like almost everywhere that I saw, like any podcast or like YouTube channel that covered this, they all call her Deanna. But I did confirm that it is Dina. She was born in 1967. And when she was three years old, her mother, Bobby Roberts, had divorced her father and a few years later remarried a man who would become a lawyer later on. Bobby had dreams for Dina that maybe she would one day be a lawyer too. But early on, it was clear that Dina had learning difficulties. She had an IQ of just 85, which falls in the low average category. It's like one step above intellectually disabled, depending on what chart you're looking at. In 10th grade, Dina was performing on a second grade level. Oh, wow. Yeah. Bobby said that Dina's strength was her social skills. She had a close-knit group of friends in high school, and she often fell into the peacemaker role. She loved making people laugh, and she would talk to everybody. Her friends said she was just tons of fun to be around. When Dina was 17, she met a man named, and you're not going to believe this, his name was Jay Wild. 
What? <laughs> Though, you know I have a hard enough time keeping things straight. And now you're in here mix-matching stuff. If you don't remember, Jay Wilds was the quote-unquote key witness in the case against Adnan Syed. This Jay Wild, no S, was in the Navy, and they met through a mutual friend, and just almost instantly, they were head over heels for each other. She was, but right now, she's Dina Hubbard. She's Dina Hubbard, yeah, and then they'll get married, and she'll be Dina Wild. That's a big last name down here, I feel like. A lot of stuff is named that. Oh, really? In Kentucky? She, they're from, Lu- mm-hmm. they lived in Louisville. Yeah, there's like Hubbard's, like streets, and I don't know, I feel like that's like kind of a popular. Yeah, and I don't have a whole lot of information on her dad, who was the Hubbard. Her mom was Roberts. Mm. But interesting. Hmm. In 1986, Jay got stationed at a naval base in San Diego, and Dina couldn't stand the thought of being apart from him. So they decided to get married so that she could come to San Diego with him. Bobby, her mother, hated the idea of Dina dropping out of school and getting married so young, and this caused a bit of a rift in their relationship. Mm -hmm. But being from Kentucky, Dina was ecstatic about going out to California. She loved getting out and going sightseeing, but pretty soon her life there wasn't exactly the California dream she'd been envisioning. Jay would get sent out with the Navy, he'd be gone for six months at a time, home for a few days, and then he'd have to go back out again. And after a while, Dina got tired of it, and the two split up, but they didn't get divorced, they just kind of were separated. Hmm. And this is the part that I really have kind of limited information on, and I'm not sure if anybody really knows the actual real story, but at some point, Dina met a man named James Coates who was Virginia McGinnis's son from a previous marriage. I'm not sure how they met, and for a while I thought maybe they'd never even really been together, but I did confirm it with Dina's family that they did have a relationship. Dina needed a place to stay at this point, and she's kind of dating James Coates, and his parents, or his mom and stepdad, Virginia, and her husband, Billy Joe McGinnis, offered to give her a place to stay, and that's how she ended up living with them. And Dina loved the McGinnises. They were also from Kentucky, and they felt like kindred spirits to her. She called her friends and told them all about the nice couple from Kentucky that were giving her a place to live. In December of 1986, she moved in. And this is four months before they all went on that road trip to Big Sur. So this is like the same, that's the same couple. Yes. Mm -hmm. The couple that she was with that they drove up. Yes. Virginia Mm -hmm. and Billy Joe. Everybody calls him BJ, and I just don't want to. (laughs) I just don't want to. Understandable. At the scene, I love that everyone's from the bluegrass. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. At the scene of the fall, rescue workers were able to bring Dina's body up the cliff, as well as her shoe, which was placed in the body bag with her. Jeff Mason, Mm -hmm. the responding officer, he completed his report on the incident, and he labeled her death as an accident. Pretty clear cut what happened here. The next day, the coroner performed the autopsy on Dina. It was a really routine autopsy that was only performed to get her cause of death, which was a basal skull fracture, a blow to the back of the head. The coroner determined that her cause of death was consistent with an accidental fall off of a cliff. Deputy David Dungan was tasked with making the notification call to Dina's mother, Bobby. It was midnight when the call came in, and Bobby couldn't believe the news that her 20-year-old daughter was dead. She was only 20. She was 20. She'd seen her just How old were BJ and Virginia? They were like mid-50s. They were like in their 50s. They're like a middle-aged couple. 
Okay. Bobby couldn't believe the news that her 20-year-old daughter was dead. She'd seen her just two months before, in February, when she'd sent Dina a round-trip ticket to Louisville to visit. Bobby said she'd been brimming with life and how she kept talking about how she couldn't wait to go back and stay with that nice couple in California. She even told Bobby she was thinking of patching things up with Jay. How could that person that had been so full of life now suddenly be dead? And their last moments together had been an argument. (sighs) Bobby was devastated. She took a leave of absence from her job. She was a social studies teacher at Louisville's Mann High School. She was a social studies teacher there. And for the next several weeks, she went to bed every day at 630 and slept until the morning. Sleep was her only escape from this hell that she'd found herself in. Right, yeah. No one in Kentucky that knew Dina could wrap their heads around the sudden death of their friend and loved one. Nothing about this made sense. Her friends said that Dina never shied away from adventure. She loved camping and hiking. And it wasn't odd to her friends that she'd wear high heels on this lookout, like I said. They said she was always in high heels, and she was not clumsy in them. Yeah, I have mad respect for that. Yeah. They held the funeral in Lexington and the because that's where Bobby's family was from. Mm-hmm. And the procession was so long that the police had to block the intersections as it went by. Dina's death was a great loss to the community, but people were also showing up to support Bobby. She was really well-loved at the school she taught at and just in the community. Yeah. But funerals are expensive. And at this point, Bobby was divorced from her second husband. She was a single teacher, not much disposable income. But luckily, Bobby had a small burial insurance policy through the school that she worked at that should cover the the expense of the funeral, which was around $3,500, so close to $9,000 today. So it's not like a small amount. That's how much it cost? Yeah. I don't know if it would cost $9,000 today. I don't think that – I don't know. They're expensive. And and they try to – they try to upsell you on the really nice comfy cushion. Cannot be – Yeah. You know? I don't need it, anyone. No. Just know, like, right. I have a nice cushy bed now and everything aches, so I'll be <laughs> fine in the wooden box. But this insurance company wasn't paying her. They wouldn't give her the money oh. from the policy, and she was getting really frustrated. By July of 1987, Bobby managed to get some parts of her life back. She started going back to church, and she knew of a member in the congregation named Steve Keeney, who she'd been told was a good lawyer. She thought maybe he could help her get this insurance company to pay up because she couldn't afford to hire a lawyer to get the money. That would kind of defeat the whole purpose of the insurance money. Yes. So at this time, she's not questioning what happened. No, not at all. She's just sad and wanting this insurance money to help her with expenses from the funeral. Right. So she approached Steve Keeney at church, but it turns out Keeney is a corporate attorney. He doesn't really handle stuff like this, but he listened to her story and he figured all the insurance company would need to nudge them to pay might be a letter from an attorney on letterhead mm-hmm. from his firm basically saying, like, show me the money. <laughs> It'd probably be like a couple hours work and he could help her out. So he agreed. He gave her his card and told her to give him a call the next week. Instead, she showed up at his law firm the next day, just really eager to get a move on with this. And he was surprised to see her so soon, but he'd agreed to help, so he looked into it. He called up the insurance company, which was Amex, that served Louisville's schools to confirm her account, and he asked him what the holdup was. 
And they said that before they could even start processing the claim, they'd need a final copy of the California state death certificate. And the certificate currently on file was listed as pending. Hmm. That seemed really weird to Keeney. He had his secretary get the Monterey coroner's office on the phone, and he spoke with Sergeant Glenn Brown, who confirmed that Dina's manner of death had been deemed accidental, but that the case was still open, and he couldn't give him any more information than that. He suggested that Keeney submit a request for the death certificate, and as soon as the case was closed, he'd receive it. So Keeney sent the letter, thinking that was that. He had no idea what he'd just gotten himself mixed up in. Yeah, I want to know, because it doesn't seem that, like... Mm-hmm. I mean, so far, the only thing I can think of uh, is BJ and Jenny pushed <laughs> mm-hmm. her. That would be crazy. <laughs> that would be crazy. <laughs> A few weeks later, Sergeant Brown called Keeney back to tell him that State Farm had been calling him. Keeney asked him if he was sure it was State Farm and not Amex, which is who Bobby's burial policy was through. Brown said, definitely not. It was a guy named Mike Hatch with State Farm who was like the top guy in charge of State Farm's life claims division. He'd told them that there'd been a $35,000 life insurance policy on Dina Wilde, and the primary beneficiary was James Coates, Virginia's son that Dina had been dating, yeah. who was listed as Dina's fiancé to be. So she got a promise ring? <laughs> I mean, she's still married to Jay Wilde. Yeah, that's why it's to be. Yeah, and thirty. Yeah, exactly. And thirty-five thousand dollars would be about ninety thousand dollars today. And this is a policy that no one in Dina's family knew about at all. Remember, James Coates is the son of Virginia McGinnis, and he is who Dina met Virginia and Billy Joe through. Keeney told Sergeant Brown that Dina was already married to somebody else, and he found it highly unlikely that she would be engaged or to be engaged, and her mom right. not even know about it. Hatch, the insurance guy with State Farm, he said that Dina had come in and filled out a life insurance application naming James Coates as the beneficiary, and once it got approved, Virginia had come in and paid the first premium on the policy. That had been on April 1st. One day before Dina died. Oh, my gosh. On top of that, the McGinnises had been asked at the scene if they knew of any wills or insurance policies connected with Dina, and they said no, absolutely not. They had no No. such knowledge of anyone who might financially benefit from this tragic accident. (sighs) But she had just paid the premium for it the day before, so it's not like she forgot. Yeah, you're not not forgetting that, sis. Keeney was stunned. He was like, wait a second, you're telling me that the people who took out a life insurance policy on Dina one day before her death are the same people who were there at the scene with her. The only people, in fact, that had been at the scene when Dina fell. And Sergeant Brown confirmed, yes. (sighs) This all seemed so suspicious and it made Keeney really uneasy about this whole thing. He decided. Yeah, alarm bells are sounding <laughs> off. <laughs> yes. He decided he wanted to speak with Mike Hatch at State Farm himself. Hatch knew exactly what Keeney was talking about when he called. And for someone in as high a position as Hatch was, I mean, this is the guy in charge of all the life claims division at State Farm. This is like Jared from State Farm. <laughs> Basically. Before. Before there was Jared. Wait, do you mean Jared from Subway? No, wait. 
It's Jake. No. Jake from Jake. State Farm. <laughs> hey, look. Look. Getting get my company's It says up. if he called Jake from State Farm and Jake knew exactly what he was talking about. That's what a big deal this guy is. Not to be confused with Mariah from McDonald's. <laughs> right. <laughs> Keeney thought that was pretty suspicious. Hatch told him that their field investigators were still looking into the matter. And the policy wasn't even close to being paid out, which put Keeney temporarily at ease. Like, okay, at least the McGinnises aren't going to be getting their money, money tomorrow or anything. Hatch told him that Virginia had come in with Dina to get the policy and said that they needed it to get Dina a passport so they could go to Mexico. And in case you are oh. unaware, you do not <laughs> need life insurance to get a passport. But I could see that being a story that Dina might believe. You know, she had a lower IQ. She was described right. as a very trusting person who always believed people. She'd never traveled out of the country before. So how would she know she didn't need life insurance? You know, I could see mm -hmm. that being believable to somebody gullible. Yeah. An insurance agent had called Virginia on April 1st to tell her that the policy had come in. So she came by to pick it up. And then two days later was back in his office throwing the policy down on his desk and asking how she could collect it because Dina was dead. <gasps> the agent what? was... Don't, do people not understand the optics? I'll tell you exactly why she didn't care at all about the optics. Great. The agent was stunned. But Hatch told Keeney this would be a hard case to prove. He said, a cliff fall is a cliff fall. And without any witnesses, it would be tough to say someone pushed her. Keeney asked That's him if true. anyone had looked into James Coates to see if he might have had any part in this as the primary beneficiary. Virginia and Billy Joe, I think, were both also listed as beneficiaries, just not the primary, I believe. Mm -hmm. But Which, what does that mean? Like, they split it three ways or they're the next person? If I think they would be like the next person. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But Coates had a solid alibi. He was in prison for a parole violation when Dina fell off the cliff. He'd actually been there for a while. Turns out, James Coates, pretty bad guy. He'd been arrested yeah. for things like assault with a deadly weapon, selling drugs, oh a hit and run, and a burglary. But in 19... She went from like a military guy to... Right. She like to did a criminal. Mm -hmm. But in 1977, he'd shot and killed a drug dealer in San Francisco and was convicted of second-degree murder. While he was in prison for that murder, he assaulted another inmate. But for whatever reason, after just serving five years in prison for murder, and then clearly not having good behavior while he was in prison, he's assaulting people, he'd been given parole. Yeah. This is clearly a dangerous guy. I just don't understand how he got parole. But whatever, our justice system rarely makes sense to me. I'm like, yeah, where, where yeah. you been? Yeah. And as I'm sure shocks no one, he was back in jail within six months for violating his parole by receiving stolen property. He got two more years for that. And then he was arrested again for theft while out on parole for the stolen property. Maybe he just keeps getting arrested. So he always has an alibi. <laughs> yeah. So he you know. was in jail when the life insurance policy was purchased. Virginia had used power of attorney to make him the beneficiary. Oh. Hatch told him one more thing that sent a shiver through Keeney. He said that when Virginia had come to pick up the policy from the insurance agent, before she left, she'd asked the agent, this is applicable in an accidental death, isn't it? 
And Virginia. It was. Of course it was. <laughs> right. She would not be interested if not. That's right. <laughs> Keeney called Bobby, Dina's mom. He called her up to tell her about all of this, and Bobby was shocked. She said it didn't make any sense. Virginia had called her the day after the accident, and she'd seemed so nice. She'd said she even knew how Bobby felt because when she lived in Louisville, she'd also lost her daughter in an accident. <sighs> Keeney thought, what are the odds that this woman was at the scene of two accidental deaths? And yeah. he wondered how much life insurance had been out on that daughter. Bobby also told him that Virginia had sent her some photos from the trip and asked if he'd like to see them. Keeney said he absolutely would like to see those photos. Yes, please. So the first week in August of 1987, Bobby showed up to Keeney's law firms with the photos Virginia had sent her. Keeney didn't know what to expect, what he could glean from these photos, but they ended up being very telling indeed. These photos were taken on something called a disc camera. I'd never heard of this, but it's a camera that puts the negatives on like a circular disc, kind of like the ones that you put into those lenses and snap through, you know? Yeah. You know, oh my gosh. I forgot you know about this. About? Yeah. And I was thinking like a SIM card, but you mean like an actual little, like one of those like little a circle viewfinder disc, things. Yes. Yeah. Like a viewfinder. Yeah. That, yeah. Anyway, the important thing about that is that the sequence of the pictures is clear. Like they know exactly what order the pictures were taken on because they're on this circular disc. Uh -huh. The earlier photos show Dina looking alert. But later photos, she looks really out of it. Like she's either intoxicated or stoned. Her facial muscles were oh. slack. Her eyes were somewhat droopy. The last photo of Dina showed her and Billy Joe standing on the edge of the cliff. And Billy's on Dina's left and their backs are to the camera. Billy's got his right arm around Dina's shoulder and his left arm is kind of reaching towards her, but you can't see if he's like holding her or what. And he's looking back over Dina's shoulder, like behind her towards the highway. Almost mm. like he's checking to see if there are any witnesses on the highway driving up. And Billy looks primed to push her off that cliff. It really seemed like this photo had been taken moments before Dina, quote unquote, fell. Oh, my goodness. The photo disgusted Keeney because the only reason he could imagine that Virginia would have taken such an incriminating photo was so that she could relive that moment, that she must get like a thrill from looking at this moment in time. Yeah. The last four photos were even more unusual. They were all just of scenery, but they'd been taken after the fall. So Dina had fallen, and according to Virginia and Billy Joe, they'd been walking back to the car when they'd noticed she'd fallen. But then they'd continued to take these four pictures Snap afterwards. Photos? There was a shot looking down the cliff where Dina had fallen, and then three panoramic mm -hmm. views, one to the left, one to the right, and one behind them of the highway, of the road. Keeney thought it was Virginia making sure no one had seen them, kind of taking pictures for yeah. witnesses, you know. Oh, my goodness. Dina's death certificate arrived, and along with it, the pathologist report, which included a physical exam and a toxicology report. And when Keeney read it, he saw that there were two unfamiliar-sounding drugs found in her system, amitriptyline and nortriptyline. Keeney discovered that they are both components of a prescription drug called Elevil, which is an antidepressant. But Dina didn't have a prescription for Elevil. Elevil is not like a drug that you can get high off of. There's no street value for the drug. 
But if you aren't used to taking it, it can make you feel queasy and dizzy. These side effects are really common complaints for first-time users of the drug. Patients are warned not to even drive until they've become stabilized on the drug. But it really depends on how much of the drug is in your system. If it's a small amount, you might not have any effect. A large dose, however, might make you so Mm -hmm. drowsy that you're sleeping on your feet. The coroner did not include in the report how much of the drug was found in her system, which seemed like a pretty big oversight and shows just kind of how sloppy this was done. Because, I mean, either because he thought it was an accident. Yeah. Yeah. Keeney then read the coroner's register, written by Dave Dungan, which to Keeney seemed full of inconsistencies. Dungan wrote that there were chest injuries, but none appeared on the pathologist report. It listed Dina as single in one spot, and then in, a, in another listed Jay Wilde as her husband. Under cause of death, Dungan had written pending, but in another place he'd written accidental. There were no signed statements from the McGinnises, the only witnesses to the fall. The McGinnises had told police that they'd pulled over on the lookout to get photos of the sunset, but it had been four o'clock, much too early for the sunset. Right. They said they'd been walking back to their car and hadn't heard any screams or cries for help. No photos had been taken at the scene because Virginia McGinnis had promised to just send in the photos that she'd taken, but she hadn't yet delivered on that promise. She'd given the photos to Bobby, but she hadn't given them to authorities. Why would you not, like, why would you think, I'm just, even though I'm here, I'm not going to take my own photos because someone here is going to give me their own photos that could potentially be involved. To me, it just seems like these cliff things are so, these cliff falls are so common. Like once a month, people are falling off the cliff that they just don't, didn't, they just weren't looking into them at all. I think it's so crazy that people are falling off that often and there's not like a, Something that's being done. I don't know. Yeah. But it's not like at one spot. It's like all up and Mm -hmm. down this like 90 miles of coast. You know, it's like not just like everybody's falling. Wherever people stop. Right. It's not like they're just flinging themselves off this one lookout spot and just falling, you know, constantly there. The report said Dina was staying with the McGinnises while she was seeing their son. But then later it said that she'd stopped seeing their son and then moved in with them. So just... A lot of contradictions, and this whole thing was clearly so much bigger than anyone had originally thought, especially the original investigators who had clearly just gone through the motions of the investigation, Mm -hmm. thinking for sure this is an accident. It's like a routine traffic stop to them. Exactly. At some point throughout all of this, Keeney had also been in touch with the Monterey Sheriff's Department. Sheriff Don Smythe agreed with a lot of Keeney's suspicions, which at this point is that the McGinnises had drugged Dina and made her so drowsy that it was very easy to push her off that cliff. Smythe was a 16-year veteran of the police force, and as an avid hiker, he was very familiar with the cliffs of Big Sur. And he said it was true that people often fell from Big Sur lookouts, but that's usually only when they're doing like stupid stunts for a photo. People don't usually fall just by stumbling. It's a flat surface on the lookout, at least this lookout where they were at. Mm -hmm. And he said they certainly don't fall silently. At the very least, it's going to make a loud sound when their bodies hit the rocks. Yeah. But most of the time, they're going to scream. Keeney posed a theory to Sheriff Smythe. 
He knew that Virginia and Billy Joe and Dina had stopped off to eat at a restaurant about two hours before Dina's fall, and he thought that was the perfect timing and spot to put the drugs in Dina's drink. Well, why do why are we assuming it was asylum fall? Well, because well, no, we're Virginia is saying they didn't hear a sound. They just turned around and, and she, she was just gone. And they're like, that's not how this works. Dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Smythe later contacted a waitress who remembered seeing them at the restaurant, and Dina had ordered a soft drink with her lunch. So they thought maybe that's where she put, put the drugs in. in. Mm-hmm. Smythe suggested to Keeney that he get a second opinion on the autopsy. And Keeney knew someone who could help, and so he brought them the autopsy photos. And they looked at the photos, and they noticed something. Her fingernails were broken, and there were wounds on the backs of her hands, but not on her palms. The way this cliff is, like I said, there's like this long slope down before it juts off. It's not just a straight downfall. And so if Dina had fallen, she would likely would have caught herself at some point, and you'd expect to see maybe scrapes on her palms. But the scrapes were on the backs of her hands, which indicates that she's holding on and then somebody is like stepping on her hands or like maybe smashing them with a rock or something oh. to make her fall, to force her to fall. But this was just a theory. There really was no way to tell for sure. There was no pattern on the injury to indicate what had caused those scrapes on her hands. But the injuries just did seem more consistent with a struggle than a simple fall off the cliff. The wounds were more like she was fending off an attack. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Creepers. Smythe submitted his report of all these findings to the Monterey County District Attorney's Office. The drugs in Dina's toxicology report, the photos, the wounds on the backs of her hands, the life insurance motive that was was purchased one day before she died. But the DA sent back a rejection, saying that they were not Mm. going to prosecute this case because it was too circumstantial. They had good theories, but they couldn't prove any of them. This was a huge... But the life insurance policy. I know. This was a huge blow to Dina's friends and family, especially her mother, 
It all seemed so clear to everyone that the McGinnises had done something and it was looking like they were just going to get away with it all and even profit off of it if State Farm decided that they had no choice but to pay it out. Which is sickening. Yes. So Keeney approached Bobby and asked if she would call Virginia and tape the conversation, maybe get something incriminating out of her. And Bobby was hesitant at first. For one thing, she was just so exhausted by all of this. Like, this whole thing started because she just wanted to get paid for the funeral. You know, and now she she's like... She wasn't trying to make any additional money. No, yeah. and she also wasn't trying to solve a murder. She didn't think her daughter had been murdered. And so this yeah. whole thing had just been so draining on her. She felt like she was only hanging on by a thread. And for another, she really didn't want to talk to Virginia. Even before yeah. thinking that she could be responsible for this, she'd gotten kind of angry that Virginia hadn't yet offered to mail her Dina's things. That, like, were at her house. Before this podcast, I kind of didn't realize how, until we heard all these stories, how often the victim or victim's family, not the victim, but, well, sometimes the victim or the victim's family is used to catch, Mm. like, Mm -hmm. the suspect Mm -hmm. or, like, used to, like, make the phone call or stand in the place Mm -hmm. or, like, be undercover or whatever. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And Dean and, and, and Keeney's also not a cop. Like, he's just yeah. like, he also just right. kind of got thrown into this. But it's like, at this point, he can't stop. Nobody else is doing anything about this. So maybe he can, like, get right. some evidence for the police. And so Bobby mm-hmm. knew it would help. And so she agreed to make the phone call. She and Virginia spoke for f- over 40 minutes. And Bobby started with the easy stuff. You know, tell me about what Dina was like those last few months. Can you ship me her things? You know, things like that. All under the pretense that it was one grieving mother calling another for support because, you know, Virginia had told her about her daughter. Yeah, that's bizarre. Yeah. Bobby was having a hard time getting Virginia talking, but she did manage to steer the conversation to Virginia's daughter, the one that she'd said had died an accidental death. Virginia told her her name was Cynthia Elaine Coates, and she was three when she died just shy of her fourth birthday. Mm. Virginia told Bobby that when they lived in Louisville, they had a couple of riding horses and that Cynthia had wanted to go ride the pony. So she'd taken her and her two sons out to ride horses. And she said it was a pretty nasty day and soon Cynthia was cold. So Virginia told her to go into the barn to go and get out of the cold. There was a small garden tractor in the barn and there'd been some twine pitched over the rafters above the tractor. And Cynthia had climbed up on the tractor, gotten tangled up in the twine, and accidentally hanged herself. That's very intricate, I feel like. Yeah. Virginia had been the one to find her in the barn. And luckily, you know, even though Cynthia was only three years old, Virginia had the foresight to get a life insurance policy on a toddler. That's not normal, right? No, no. What kind of person has like a my life, first insurance life insurance policy? I had was from my first or like my second job. Yeah, and that's just because like they like provided it to no, me. No, I think like the I don't think only kind of policies that should be allowed on children are burial policies that cover funeral expenses, and they also have these policies that I don't really know a lot about them, but I know that they can grow and like the kid can get money out of it like later Mm -hmm. but i'm like just open them a little like savings account or whatever you know yeah instead of life and i don't really know anything about that kind of policy so 
But this was just a regular life insurance policy for $35,000, and Virginia was able to collect that policy. Yeah, that's something. Yeah, and then Virginia told Bobby that two years later, Cynthia's father, her husband, had died from inoperable cancer. And it actually wasn't Cynthia's father. It was another man. Anyways, he died from inoperable cancer. Later, they'd get a bit more information about this. Apparently, when this husband had come down with cancer, Virginia had demanded the hospital release him to her care and told them she was perfectly qualified to take care of him because she was a nurse. She could give him the IDEs and medications that he needed at home. She convinced them all that she was a nurse. She was not. She even had the costume with a little white cap and everything. Mm-hmm. And so they discharged him. And a couple of days later, he died. <sighs> what? Yeah. This is wild. Weeks earlier, he'd been overdosed with painkillers, but he'd survived. And his death was caused by another overdose. But when someone is in pain like that, when they have cancer and, and they're in pain, it's really easy for them to accidentally overdose on painkillers. So it was impossible to prove that she'd killed him. And obviously, he really did have cancer, but we yeah. don't know how bad it was, how much it had spread, any of that. And either way, it seems like Virginia decided to just speed things up a bit. Once again, she was able to cash in on that $35,000 life insurance policy. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. And Virginia didn't say this on the phone call, but investigators would later discover that almost the same thing happened with her mother. Virginia's mother was a diabetic who required insulin and other medical care. Virginia convinced doctors she was a nurse who could take care of her, and her mom passed away shortly after being in her care. And once again, insurance paid. You are listing so many people right now. Yes, I know. That's three suspicious deaths, all three under Virginia's care. All three resulted in a life insurance payout. And it looked like Dina had been number four. Like, this woman is a serial killer. She's telling all of this to Bobby. No, she's telling almost none of this Just to Bobby. about the one. She talked about Just Cynthia's death, and then she said that her husband had died two years later from inoperable cancer. But okay. yeah, that's all she's right. telling to Bobby. Leaving out all the deeds. On that phone call, Virginia described Dina as a friendly puppy, someone eager to please, someone that would Ew. just agree to anything. That was exactly Bobby's reaction. Like, ew, a puppy, an eager puppy? That's what you're going to call my daughter that you push off a cliff? Yeah. Bobby then asked Virginia about the Elevil in Dina's system. She asked if Virginia had any idea how Dina could have gotten her hands on Elevil. And Virginia said that actually, you know, Billy Joe over here has the prescription for Elevil. And it looks a lot like aspirin. And it was in the medicine cabinet. So maybe she took some, not realizing that it it wasn't aspirin. Even though the bottle was, didn't say aspirin. And even though the bottle is a prescription bottle and aspirin yeah. doesn't come in one of those. But Virginia told Bobby that it would just it would have just made her feel happy. It wouldn't have made her drowsy, you know, except that it does make you drowsy, especially if it's your first time taking it. It can absolutely right. make you drowsy. And at another point in the conversation, Virginia said that Billy Joe took them to help him sleep. So she's contradicting herself right there also. Bobby asked Virginia about why Dina was wearing high heels out on that cliff. And Virginia said that Dina just loved those shoes so much she refused to wear anything else. Virginia had even made sure to take a picture of Dina sitting on one of the big rocks at Big Sur wearing the and got the shoes in the picture. 
She even asked Bobby about the photo. Like, she wanted to make sure that Bobby had seen the picture. Like, see, look, she was wearing high heels. She fell off the cliff because she was in bad shoes. Bobby then managed to ask about the life insurance policy on Dina. And Vir- Bobby, yes. Yeah. And Virginia admitted that, yes, Dina did have a life insurance policy. She said that Dina had gone with her and Billy Joe when Billy Joe needed to up his insurance policy. And while they were there, Dina had decided to get a small policy that would appreciate with age. Billy Joe better keep his head on a swivel because <laughs> if he's up right? in his policy. Well, but Billy Joe doesn't have life insurance. He's in such poor health that no one would insure him. So that was a lie. They were not going there to mm-hmm. up his insurance. He didn't even have it. Nobody would give it to him. And Keeney knew that it made absolutely no sense that Dina would want life insurance. What, what is the point of life insurance? It is so that your death is not a burden to your loved ones, to try yeah, to make sure they're okay financially after you die. What would a 20- Particularly when you have kid, like when you have a family that depends on your income. Correct. Or, you know what I mean? Right. What would a 20-year-old healthy woman with no children whose husband makes way more money than she does want with life insurance? I'll tell you all right now, I have zero life insurance on me. I have zero. So don't come. Don't come (laughs) at me. (laughs) Yeah, same. (laughs) After this phone call, Keeney was certain that Virginia had done this. And worse, Virginia knew that they couldn't prove it. She'd practically been gloating about it on that phone call. Right. Keeney took a look at the life insurance policy for Dina and realized that it had been signed by a witness, an elderly neighbor of the McGinnises named Alice Kassane, who turned out to be only a passing acquaintance of the McGinnises. So Keeney asked Alice about it, and Alice said she hadn't signed that form. And she looked closer at the form, and she said, they didn't even spell my name right. (gasps) Oh. Yeah, her name oh. is spelled Kissane, K-I-S-S-A-N-E. And on the form, it was spelled K-I-S-S-A-I-N. That's not even... Yeah. Generally speaking, people don't tend to misspell their own names when they're signing their signature, you know? Yeah. Later, a handwriting expert would match the signature to a writing sample by Virginia. And I know handwriting experts are not really, like, a thing. You can't... Yeah, but the name's misspelled, you know, like, come Right, on. but this guy is saying I'm proving that Virginia is the one that wrote it. And I think we can all just agree that she did. <laughs> <laughs> Investigators spoke with another neighbor of the McGinnises named Martha Grant. Martha said when she first moved in, Virginia showed up with flowers, welcoming her to the neighborhood, and Martha loved it. She thought, you know, oh, this is awesome. My neighbors are, like, so nice, and, and what a great place. She can forge your signature later, girl. <laughs> Well, so many weird things started happening. One time, a car just parked in their driveway suddenly caught on fire. Martha had no idea how a car just sitting there would just catch on fire. Another time, Virginia came over and asked if she'd seen or heard anything in her backyard. Martha felt like she was being questioned about if she'd witnessed something criminal happening in their backyard. Martha told Hmm. investigators that the dynamics between Virginia and Billy Joe were obvious. Virginia was a very strong personality, the kind that didn't ask, she demanded. And Billy Joe was perfect for her because he was much more passive. Martha said she saw him as weak. Keeney looks more into this car catching on fire. 
And they realized that there was an insurance payout on that, and it wasn't the first. Keeney was able to get a hold of Virginia's first husband, Dick Coates, which is how I know he's not the one that died from inoperable cancer. (laughs) And he got more information than I think he really wanted about Virginia's life and suspected crimes. In 1953, when Virginia was 16, her parents' barn in Ithaca, New York, where she grew up, caught on fire. Luckily, they were able to get all of the animals out of the barn, but they couldn't do much else but watch it burn. Even at the time... Okay, Belle Guinness. <laughs> or what's her name? Belle Guinness. Belle Guinness. Triflers <laughs> need not apply. <laughs> but she like setting shops on fire uh-huh. and all these people. Uh-huh. Even at the time, Virginia was suspected of starting this fire or at least having something to do with it. Her brother went around town telling everyone that Virginia had done it. But he never said why he thought that or how it actually started. And in the end, insurance paid her family for the barn, though not enough to rebuild. And no one ever looked further into how the fire was started. That is what big brothers do, though, just out all your business. <laughs> but right. why would she – she wasn't getting the money. Like, it went to her parents to rebuild. So why would Well, she do this that? is – she's young here. I think she's just yeah. kind of starting so out. She's just, she's like just kind of – yeah. Well, getting uh, getting hooked. A year later at 17, Virginia married Dick Coates and moved in with his parents and she was caught stealing from them. So they kicked her out and Virginia and Dick moved in with her parents while Virginia had multiple affairs and continued with her stealing habit, which was so bad okay. and so well known around town that shopkeepers would just show up at her parents' house to get their stuff back. That's so embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> It's so terrible. She and Dick had two kids, Ronald and James, who they called Ronnie and Jimmy. In 1958, Virginia, Dick, and the two boys were staying in a rental house. The boys were sleeping upstairs while Dick and Virginia slept on a couch downstairs. And in the middle of the night, Dick woke up to find the ceiling on fire and Virginia nowhere to be found. And he said it was like she wanted to say the stove caused the fire, but the, the fire was on the opposite side of the room from the stove. So it wouldn't have caused that fire. So he quickly got upstairs. He got the boys outside to find Virginia already there watching the fire. Oh, she wasn't going to like wake anyone and take them with her. Right. Like not her children upstairs or her husband who was sleeping right next to her. Yeah. Dick couldn't help but wonder why. Yeah. She hadn't done that. And no one ever determined how that fire had started. But Dick always suspected that it was her. Obviously. Yeah. One, I immediately cannot wait to look this woman up. Two, (laughs) I just thought of the story and the narrative in my head that I've been telling myself for years that I ran back in to get what I thought was you upstairs when our sorority house caught on fire. And you told me you weren't upstairs. Right. No. So how am I remembering that incorrectly? Who was that? The next year, Virginia was arrested for forging checks and she got two years probation. As soon as her probation was over, Her house caught on fire. It was a cellar fire, and again, it was in the middle of the night. When Dick went down to check it out, he found matches under some electrical wire. He'd put the electrical wire in himself. Everything was new. There was nothing down there that could have started a fire, like, accidentally. No one's believing it's accidental. (sighs) Right. But he told Keeney that he never confronted her about any of it. Because he's scared for his life. Yeah, probably so. Seven years later, Virginia and Dick separated, and she went to live with her father, taking the boys with her. And while she was there, 
that house caught on fire. Oh, my God. Yeah, resulting in a total loss of property and possessions. Virginia fell from a second-story window and landed headfirst on a 50-gallon metal milk can. She was hospitalized for two weeks, and a few months later, Dick got a call from an insurance agent telling him that they had $10,000 for him because of an insurance policy in his name that was taken out on Virginia's family house. Dick said he didn't have an insurance policy on that house, but the agent insisted that he did and that it was in his name. Later, yeah, later Virginia showed up in a brand new Mustang telling Dick that she was the one paying the premiums on that insurance policy so she should get the money. And Dick basically told her to go to hell. (laughs) Yeah. Katie started. Why why would she take it out in his name? I guess because she couldn't do it in hers. So that it wasn't like, yeah, all in hers. Same reason why she put Uh it in James Coates' name, you know? Yeah. Keeney started to think that, yes, Virginia was absolutely the type of person that would take insurance money out on a stranger and then murder them for the money. A hundred percent. Is she also working or is this her sole source of income? Well, she says she's a nurse, but nobody's ever seen her go to work. So yeah, (laughs) I think this is how she's making her money. Yeah. it's just God, I'd love to make a comment, but now that my mom's an avid (laughs) listener. (laughs) Whoa. Two years after that fire, Cynthia Elaine Coates was born, but Dick insists that Cynthia was not his child. They'd been separated for several years, but Virginia gave her the last name of Coates. Two years later, Dick and Virginia were officially divorced, and Virginia married Sylvester Bud Reardon, who was a Navy man with three sons, Kenneth, Sylvester, and Butch. Bud was transferred to Louisville, so the whole family moved out there, and that same year, Cynthia Elaine was found dead in the barn. Two years later, Bud died from cancer, and so this is the husband that had died from cancer, supposedly. Unoperable. But his son, Butch, had a very interesting story to tell. By this time, Butch's two brothers weren't living with them, but Virginia's sons, Ronnie and Jimmy, were, and they were both just hell on wheels. One day, Virginia randomly came out and paid Ronnie and Jimmy 20 bucks to take Butch out of the house on a drive. She'd never done this before. It was really weird. And when they returned, Virginia told Butch that his dad had passed away. Uh, how? From the cancer. Just, just in that, like, moment. Right, just in that moment. And she had Correct. told him, like, the day before, you know, you should be prepared. Your dad's probably going to go soon, you know. In 1975, Virginia left Kentucky and went out to California. She was living with her mother in a house in Palo Alto, and the house caught on fire. Oh, my God. The insurance company decided to rebuild it instead of paying the claim. But a month later, the house caught fire again and burned to the ground. No, no, (laughs) no. The fire inspector suspected arson, probably because of the gallon-sized gas can found in the house. But the insurance company still paid out $127,255. Is it really that easy? I mean, I'm not trying to do insurance fraud, but it's... When you were asking, like, isn't she worried about the optics of taking this policy out the day before she died? No, she has been getting away with this for like 30 plus years. And nobody has ever looked twice. She's not worried about the optics at all. Well, we're looking twice. Yeah, Virginia. We're, we're checking we're it. Looking, we're, we're, ch- we're checking that list. Checking it twice. twice. When Virginia met Billy Joe, he'd been openly gay for quite some time. But they officially married in April of 1984. Oh. It was his. Yeah. So she's. 
Well, okay, listen to this. This came out of left field and I was not seeing it coming. All right. This was his fifth marriage. And police think they're pretty certain that Billy Joe had been running this scheme for quite some time where he'd marry a rich woman and then swindle them out of their money. They think he saw Virginia as another target for his con and didn't realize until it was too late that she was not it. Were they like both trying to like run one on each other? (laughs) Yeah, he's too sick to get life insurance and she's too crazy to swindle out of her money. Is that the premise of like Mr. and Mrs. Smith? Or no, Mister and Mrs. Story? Smith. They are hitmen for com- well, I guess kind of. They're hitmen for competing trying- firms, and then yeah. they get targets on each other. Each other, yeah. I do. I kind of want to rewatch that. I feel like maybe I've seen that. Yeah, it was good because they find out that the their firms are trying to take them out because they're yeah. like too close, you know. Because they find out that they're married to each other, and they don't know that the other one's a hitman. Like they don't know. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. They don't know that their wife or their oh, right, no. right. Oh, I'm definitely rewatching. Yeah, that. <laughs> it's pretty good. Virginia's mother was living with them at their home in Chula Vista when she died of a heart attack under Virginia's care in 1986. Wow, right? Like I we had are here, no- we have arrived back to present. <laughs> I had no idea time. that this is what I was walking into when that. Woman has got to be locked up for life. Yes. It was clear after piecing together this whole story that Virginia had been running this insurance fraud slash murder scheme for quite some time and that Dina was just the latest. She'd been getting away with it for decades, even though she wasn't even particularly good at any of it. People had suspected her since that very first fire when she was 16, and no one was fooled with every subsequent fire. But for whatever reason, she continued to be rewarded each time. And the person that's really found most of this out is not a police officer. Is a lo- corporate <laughs> attorney. Well, Steve yeah. Keeney. Yeah. Jimmy Coates got out of prison early on parole again. And his first act as a free man was to hire a lawyer named Bill O'Connell to help him collect on Dina's life insurance. He mm. insisted that they had been engaged. Though he said that he had given her his grandmother's engagement ring that he had she had passed down to him. But none of Dina's family knew she was engaged. And there was that pesky matter of her still being married to Jay Wilde. Right. Which, I mean, I guess you can get engaged if you're still married. There's no, like, legal form you fill out for that. But likely not possible. Yeah. And uh, likely she would have also called her parents or called her mom. Right. You know. Right. Kaney is intent on stopping Jimmy from being able to collect, and he convinced Bobby to file a wrongful death suit against Virginia. Monterey County DA is still refusing to hold them criminally responsible, but the option of civil, of civil court was still open to them. And it obviously wasn't about the money. It was about finding the only way to hold Virginia responsible. Right. And hopefully to keep her from laying claim to any money from Dina's insurance policy. It's like, Bobby doesn't want that either. She just doesn't want Virginia to have it. Yeah. Subpoenas were filed on Virginia, but she just didn't show up to court. So the judge ruled against her and ordered her to pay $250,000 plus interest. But like, she never paid it. Of course, she never paid it. 
She has to burn something else down. Right. Right. She she didn't pay anything. And Monterey County still wouldn't file criminal charges. But then Keeney thought of something. Monterey County wasn't the only place Uh, that could prosecute. Every place she. (laughs) Well, Well, I was thinking, can't we just get her for every place she. (laughs) I don't think they can do anything about the other crimes. Because there's just suspicion. There's no proof. But the life insurance policy was really when this crime, Dina's murder, began. And that had been taken out in San Diego. Meaning that Mm. San Diego could also have jurisdiction in this case. So Keeney approached the authorities in San Diego with what he knew. And the San Diego District Attorney, Luis Aragon, decided to indict Virginia and BJ for this murder. BJ. That's right. Oh, for Billy Joe. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's right. By this time, Virginia and Billy Joe have divorced, and she's going by her second husband's name, Reardon. I think that's another reason why it was so hard to find information on this, because I'm like, okay, Virginia McGinnis, Virginia Reardon, Virginia Coates, Virginia Coates Reardon, and then Dina Wilde, Dina Hubbard Wilde. I mean, everybody has so many names. Yeah. Which, like, changing your name is not easy, so. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't, I, yeah. And I think she did legally change it because I think she went to court as Virginia Reardon. Yeah. Both Virginia and Billy Joe were arrested and charged with Dina's murder. But at this point, it all seemed just bittersweet to Dina's family and friends. If Virginia had been caught for any of her numerous earlier crimes, Dina would still be alive. That's the case in a lot of these stories. Yes, I know. Almost every time. Under questioning, Virginia said that Dina and James had decided to get married, but that they just kept it between the two of them. She had no idea that Dina was actually married. She also said that after James, who's the same person as Jimmy, I know I've gone back and forth because he's called both things and different things, but... Yeah, this would have been a prime (laughs) time to have a flowchart. Does it count that I thought about making you a flowchart? And then I just... (laughs) Kind of. Continued But then you knew that it would be too (laughs) difficult. Which is the number one sign that I need one. She also said that after James went to prison, Dina never spoke with him. So it definitely sounds like someone I'd want to get a life insurance policy for, this person that I'm no longer speaking to. I'm going to make him the primary beneficiary. Yeah, for sure. Billy Joe never made it to court. He died of AIDS while in prison awaiting his trial. Mm. They called it pneumonia in some places, but... I think that's what they called AIDS in the 90s and 80s. Oh, the 90s, yeah. Pneumonia, yeah. But nearly five years after Dina's death, the trial of Virginia Reardon began on January 6, 1992. The DA had decided to seek the death penalty in this case as drugging a girl and shoving her off a cliff in order to collect insurance money was one of the most terrible acts the DA had ever prosecuted in his 10 years as a prosecutor. And murder for profit is a special circumstance under the murder statute, meaning it is eligible for the death penalty. Oh, yeah, I guess this is what that is. Yep. The judge questioned the relevance of allowing in all of Virginia's prior acts. The D- <laughs> Are you kidding me? No. The DA Aragon explained to the judge how each of these acts taught Virginia something. He told the judge Virginia learned what happens in these cases. And most importantly, she learned that no one investigates them. Even in Dina's death, no crime scene photos were taken, no signed witness statements. Nothing but an autopsy, which thank God an autopsy was performed, but it didn't even say the amount of the drugs that were found in her system. 
Right. Even that was sloppy. If it weren't for Keeney looking into that burial insurance policy, which it turned out, by the way, Dina didn't even qualify for because she no longer lived with her mother. So Bobby couldn't collect it anyway. If it weren't for Keeney looking into that policy, no one else would have looked into this whole situation. It would have been an accident. Case closed. Case closed. Money. Here you go. The insurance company wouldn't have looked. $35,000 is such a small amount. It would have been more expensive to like do a full investigation on it. Right. That's yeah. why she gets these all in small amounts. Notice all of these policies were for like $35,000. She goes small, so she stays under the radar. So they're not going to do an investigation. They're just going to pay the money. This is what makes me so mad because this is why things like this happen and people get away with it. Not the same, but like the Simon Levive stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, he was like swindling women for these like amounts singularly at a time. Not a big corporation. Well, and like fraud, fraud is against the law. When you get money from somebody by lying to them. I don't know. That whole thing. You know what I mean? It's just like they're like doing repeated Mm -hmm. behavior like over and over. Over and over again. And just rewarded for it every time. Yep. State Farm's investigation into this whole thing ended when they decided to just tie the money up in federal courts and let a judge decide who should get it. They're like, we're done with this. We can't. (laughs) We ain't got got time for that. Yeah. And I think mainly it was because. I don't find that hard to believe at all because they, I need them to pay me out a $400 car accident situation. And it's. They're not doing it? Oh. They, I think, I think a lot of it is because they, they knew that they weren't going to have a good reason to keep it from her at this point. And James was coming after them, like the lawyer was suing them for unpaid claims. So they needed to like, just kind of get this away. Yeah, moved. The judge said he agreed with Aragon in principle about Virginia's past but that he was not going to allow anything about her past in at the trial. Why? That's going to change everything. None of the fires, none of the suspicious deaths, just a few little things that happened in Chula Vista that could show a pattern of insurance fraud. This is a huge blow to the prosecution because really the judge is right. That stuff is highly prejudicial. That's why we know she did it is because of all that stuff that doesn't really have anything to do. But I feel like that's the point is to prove she did it. Yeah, it's I mean, it's what makes me convinced that she planned to murder Dina when it doesn't actually prove that that's what happened, except it does to me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I sorry, it does. (laughs) Sorry, it does. (laughs) I know. The prosecution wanted the jury to know who Dina Wilde was so that they could adequately judge the case. They brought up character witnesses who all said that Dina was one of the most trusting people they'd ever met in their lives. She was so willing to believe anything, it just wouldn't have even been in her frame of mind that someone would want to hurt her. Yeah, I'm never thinking that. Right. Meet new people. Like, it's weird. Yeah. The defense worked hard to make Dina look as bad as possible. They put James Coates on the stand, who is so skeezy. He talked about all the drugs he loved doing, and he said he knew he was about to go back to prison, so he wanted to marry Dina even though they'd only known each other for a few weeks, so that he could get what he called congenial visits. Ew. But our, you know, uh, conjugal, conjugal visits. visits. And so she could sneak him drugs into the prison. So that's that's why he was marrying her. He talked to like Dina's doing that, bro. Yeah, I 
I don't buy any of this stuff. I don't know. He talked about how Dina would pop pills all the time with him, but that she didn't do heroin, which he liked because it meant more for him. (laughs) He said he'd given her a ring passed down from his grandmother, and he talked about the insurance payout. He said he got about $5,000 that he blew in seven months on drugs. And I don't have like any more information on this insurance payout. I don't know who got what. I'm fairly certain Virginia didn't get any of it because she's like on trial for Dina's murder. So I think like Mm -hmm. at the very least, a judge would have had that money tied up. But it sounded like James had gotten a small amount from it. I don't know. The defense leapt on the evidence of the Elleville, saying that Dina was a drug user who had taken the pills on her own and led to her own death. They said she'd take anything because she was a drug user. They questioned her morals, her lying, her using drugs. So many things that just weren't the case. Even James Coates just sitting on the stand made Dina look bad. Like if she could be with a guy like that, she must not be this sweet, innocent girl from Kentucky that the prosecution is making her out to be. Right. They also said that Virginia couldn't have pushed her even if she wanted to because the wind was so strong that day. It was blowing rocks back up over the cliff's edge. And this gave ADA Aragon an idea. He said the only way to counter that argument was to allow the jury to see the scene of the crime. And he requested Mm -hmm. that they move the trial to the Seal Beach Overlook in Big Sur, which was 400 miles north of where they currently were in San Diego. So wait, like they, okay, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and they Like did. not that they actually go there, but they yes. just like stop that trial and they. Yeah, they flew the jury and everyone else involved in the trial up to Big Sur and they created an outdoor courtroom on the Overlook. Like they had trial Ooh, on that the whole Overlook. thing. They set up a table, papers were blowing, they had so many paperweights. They put up chairs for everybody on the Overlook. It was wild. That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. I know. Right? Yes. Almost like the bloody mattress being wheeled in. <laughs> Wouldn't you just go there for like a day field trip and then go back? No? Yes. That's what I would think. But <sighs> they, court was held there for two days. It's I'd the, be pissed about that because I hate, I love being outside. I like working outside. So when it's, when the wind is blowing, uh-huh. I'm irritated. Mm-hmm. Papers everywhere. This was Mm -hmm. the longest amount of time that court had ever been in session at a suspected crime scene. I didn't even know any courts had ever been in session at all at a suspected crime scene. Yeah, that's crazy. Like you said, I knew that they could take the jury on field trips to go look at stuff like they did in the Scott Peterson case. They took them out to look Mm -hmm. at the boat and everything. And at the OJ trial, they took them to the house. But they're not sitting there setting up court and having court in the living room. Like yeah, just are they providing around. sunscreen? Are people just like baking? This outside? is the 80s. Did they wear sunscreen then? They had that like, know. they all had the white the noses. The zinc. <laughs> Anyways, this was also the farthest that any jury had ever traveled up to this point. So the fact that I couldn't find any information about this case, is that not just mind blowing to you? I couldn't get anything. There's one book. It's not even an ebook. I had to read the actual thing. Do you know how difficult that was for me? <laughs> Yeah, I I can sense it. No articles and forensic files just made up the names and everything. Anyways. But also, like, I love this part of envisioning this. <laughs> but, like, we could have saved all of that and just let the other stuff come into court, which would have been more helpful to me than seeing 
thing, the cliff. The physical space. Yeah. Like, why don't you just tell me about all the other houses she burned down and the other people she murdered and tried to murder? I guess because it's all suspicions and rumors. She hasn't been convicted of any of it. They'd have to prove all that stuff, too. She set a ceiling on fire and then walked outside and didn't wake anybody else up. there were at least seven fires that she was, like, there when it caught fire. Yeah, I've been around one fire. Yeah, like same fire. One, yeah, same yeah, fire. Yeah, me. <laughs> and we, one same fire. And you tried to warn everybody that <laughs> yeah. that was a fire. I said, I said, this is going to be a fire. <laughs> Lord Jesus, there's a fire. The defense also tried to say that Virginia wasn't even at the scene because she wasn't in any of the photographs. And every- She's taking them. <laughs> well, yes. That's, that's the obvious assumption, right? She's the one taking the photographs. And I don't really get this line of defense because she's the one who made the 911 call and she was at the scene when the responding officer arrived. She'd even told the officer that she'd been there. So I don't really know. Every place said that this was like a big line of defense. But the prosecution got a scientist to look at the photographs and he used the angles of the sun and the Pythagorean theorem to determine that whoever took the pictures of Billy Joe and and Dina was 5'6", the same height as Virginia. On February 23rd, 1992, closing arguments began back in the courtroom in San Diego. The jury deliberated for four days and found Virginia guilty. I will flip the table. (laughs) Of first degree murder. She was sentenced to life in prison without parole. And that is where she died on June 25th, 2011, at the age of 74. And she was never prosecuted for the earlier allegations of fraud and murder. 74 doesn't feel that old to me. Like, I'm getting to the age now where you say something like an age, and I'm like, wait a second. I know. Same. We're, like, getting halfway there. And that is the... The murder of Dina. That is Dina the wildest. Is that not the wildest story? I could not believe. It's so weird that like they put a whole courtroom out on a cliff, and no one's talking about that. I know. And the serial killer lady. Yeah, serial like arsonist. She's got a whole Netflix thing, right, Pam? I know Virginia McGinnis kind of reminds me a lot of her. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that's oh, wow. that story. So. What a wild story. I'm just glad she was caught. You know, we got the justice there at the end. But I'm going to start being a lot more careful about my food and and beverages as well. Because I feel like there's been a lot of like cyanide, colchicine, whatever this thing was. Like, I'm not. I think you're okay. But yeah, you should definitely always watch your (laughs) beverage. They actually have those. They have those covers that you can just like snap onto the top of your drink. Yeah. And you can like put a little straw through it. Yeah. Like a little cup condom. Yeah, exactly like a cup condom. Okay. Do we have any uh, shout outs? Yes. Shout out time. Shout out time. It's like we know her. We know the song. You know who I really do want to give a shout out to? Who? I would like to give a special shout out to the Delta Gamma CDCs, Collegiate Development Consultants. You know why? Why? Because they. Every time they go to a campus, they are, like, telling people about us. We have so many followers. One, most of them, that's, like, 15 people. And then they're going to all these college campuses, and they're telling chapters about us. And we have so many followers from that. Thank you. They're, like, listening to us on the plane. What? They're telling people. 
They're posting about us on their accounts on Instagram. <sighs> I mean, truly. And they're about to come off the road this year. So the 21-2022 CDCs, they are like major hype girls for us. Oh, thank you. It's so cute. I know. Oh, I love it. I really love it. Do you know what I also love? What? Casey K from the 541. <laughs> or <laughs> what is the 541? Casey Kuvas. 541. Oh, look it up. I just love I would I would love for my name to be Casey K. Casey yeah, Casey K. Casey K. It's like Kansas, I, are you from Kansas City? 541 area code. Oregon. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. North American area code 541 covers the majority of Oregon. You just have one area code in the whole state? The majority? We have three area codes in Houston. For Houston. (laughs) Yeah, that's not surprising. There's another one for Galveston. (laughs) What is Galveston's? Um, Galveston area code. I was just thinking, I feel like there's only one for like Louisville. 409. Galveston's is 409. Yeah. I didn't know 409. Uh, I'm so excited about our next shout out. Franklin, true crime pup. I love Franklin. He's so adorable. I'm obsessed with him. Franklin, a true crime creeper pup. Can I just tell you what's so adorable about Franklin other than he is like massive? Okay. And so cute. Why don't I know about him? Why haven't I seen him? He, well, I will send you a pic. Okay. He um, was my coworkers at Delta Gamma. Oh. Oh, yeah. Uh, He, was adopted from the Franklin County Animal Shelter. Uh-huh. And so his name is Franklin. Isn't that so cute? That's really cute. I never thought about that. And all the counties have like, I was like, oh, if I adopted a dog in Houston, Harris, that's cute. In the Harris, Harris County. Or Jefferson Town is the county I live in here. So I'm like, I want Jefferson, a dog. that's a I, cute dog name. I really want a dog named Jeff. Jeff. <laughs> his full uh, name would be I Jefferson, but we would call him Jeffrey and Jeff. I- <laughs> It's like I really want a dog named Carlos. Oh, uh, that's great. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Michaela, with two exclamation points. Michaela. Michaela. Oh, and I, I've got the pronunciation for the last one. Oh, great. Last but certainly not least, Sophia Papalino. 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 Oh, Sophia Papalino. Papalino. I love that last name. Yeah. You know what that makes me think of? What? When we were in Hawaii one time, we were getting on a bus to go out to the North Shore to see Pipeline, obviously. Oh, sure. And everything in Hawaii is so hard to pronounce because there's like a ton of consonants. Right. But but Pipeline is is easy. Right. But this woman got on the bus and she was like, is this the bus that's taking us to Pipi Line? And I was like, oh. <laughs> was she like Good speaking you regular? Know. She's been sounding – Everything out all Was week. she like, she and was like she, mainlander and she was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. She was from like Wyoming, I'm sure. Pipeline. <laughs> but you're like all week, you're like trying so hard and you're like overthinking everything. And she's like, Pipeline. And I was like, <laughs> Yeah, oh, we're girl. going to Pipeline. <laughs> what if it really is Pipeline and jokes on you <laughs> that you've been pronouncing it pipeline like a, like a mainlander yeah, this whole time? Damn wahine over here, for sure. Oh my gosh. Thank you all so much. If you would like a shout out, all you got to do, sign up on that Patreon. For at the $5 level and above, you get a shout out on the podcast. You got to fill out a form, but it's really easy. You just put the name you want us to say. And yeah, yeah, you can also find us on our social medias. That is at 
Creepers Pod. <laughs> at Creepers Pod on Facebook, Instagram, sometimes Twitter. Jump on Apple, you know, Apple Podcasts, write us a review. Give us a five-star rating. That would be awesome. We would love it. And uh, make sure to tune in next week when I will tell MoGab another wild story. Ba-da-da-da-da. Bye, peeps and creeps. Oh,